Once again, I too many things. Just was talking to Dave right as the music was playing, and I forgot to turn on my mic. Sorry about that. Others would say, I, I can remember the guy who brought me into the saying, you don't have to tell them everything, Rank. They don't need to know that. Well, I don't like when there's that n little uh, dead air, little, uh, I like precision. I'm a detail-oriented guy. Anyway, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Live with Rank show. We were lucky enough, uh, I, I feel, to uh, be able to still speak to David Delaney, an attorney, and I'll get into that in a second uh, with you guys. Uh, we were, he was supposed to be on earlier in the show. Uh, due to his court case he was in, he couldn't get on till late in uh, the show, that last segment. And it's important, as I said prior to the break about this, Dave contacted me last night and he said that the Kalamazoo Public Schools have a board meeting tonight at 7 p.m. to address the status of the mask mandate. It's among other things, not just that. It's, it's what I suspected when I said it earlier. It's probably among other things, and, and Dave confirmed that at the break. And he has a court hearing scheduled for May 2nd to, the, to address the constitutional authority of the school to issue that mask mandate. He also told me, he can confirm that when we put him back on, that the school isn't this isn't even on the schedule or the agenda for the school board tonight, which is interesting. He has a client who's a school teacher at a Kalamazoo, Kalamazoo public school. For medical reasons, a doctor gave her an exemption and the school re rejected the doctor's medical exemption. So what I like about this is not only... Yes, it's in one of my radio station's uh, listening area. And it's probably an issue many of you faced on other, in other schools. Although other schools, I think, have backed down. But I don't even care about the back down or anything like that. My biggest concern now is all these cases dealing with all these issues, the mask issue, the vaccine issue, the executive order issues, all needs to be settled very soon in the Michigan Supreme Court. So then there's some real direction next time a pandemic comes, because I, I believe it will happen. And certainly it will happen if the politicians feel that they can get something out of it, like they did for the last two years. So that being said, let's welcome back to the show, David Delaney, who's been a, or is the lawyer on a number, I think he said 14 different cases. He's specifically looking at the mask mandate issue. I remember Portage was one, Comstock's one, maybe Plainwell, not sure. But let's go back to the phone lines. And speak to Dave. Welcome, Dave. Welcome. Hold on. Oh, that's it. Hold on. What's going on here, guys? You there? Hmm. I had him before. And now there is an issue. Let me see if I can figure this issue out, guys. I was just talking to him. All right. No. No, it doesn't want to go to him. Oh, the trouble. The trouble, the trouble, the trouble that 
Oh, there we go. All right. There, I figured it out. That was a user, I think, guys. Not not technical. Dave, you there? <laughs> I'm here. How are you, sir? After 30 seconds of uh, humming and hawing and wondering what I did wrong, there's so many different things I have to press because uh, I don't have a board. I am the board op as well as the host. Now, as you heard, uh, do you have any thoughts to add to what I think is the importance and where I think this has to go? Yes, I do agree with you that the courts um, need to resolve this. I, I, I would say to those that are um, trying to get a handle on this, and it's not always very easy, is to Google separation of powers and just get a basic understanding of that. That's what James Madison did um, when he drafted the U.S. Constitution. In England, the king had all the power. And what uh, Madison did was break that up into three branches. And those branches are the legislative, they write the law, the executive, that's the president, the governor, the health department, the schools, the DNR, the DEQ, the CDC, those are all executive. They enforce that law. That's the police department. And then the judicial interprets the law. To give an example, Congress decides that the speed limit is 75 miles an hour. They have written that law. <clears throat> the police, the executive branch, <coughs> excuse me, enforces that law. And then the judicial interprets, meaning is 75 miles an hour a reasonable speed. And when those branches operate co-equally and separately, we have an efficient running government. But when they cross over, for example, and I'm pro-law enforcement, have plenty of police officers in the family, the police can't set the speed limit. They can't write the law. They can only enforce the law. But what's happening here is that um, the executive branch is writing the law. Um, the schools, the health departments, um, and the courts have stepped in to say, no, that's Congress's job. Well, but if I may everybody... interrupt you and say, what do, how do you mean the executive branch is writing the law? Are those the executive orders you're talking about? That's correct. Okay. So here's, here's two examples. Um, the Iron Pig restaurant in Gaylord is a client of mine. During the pandemic, uh, the health department began to write laws. Uh, that's the executive branch, and those laws said you have to close indoor dining, you have to wear masks, you have to social distance, you have to close at 10, then at 11, you have to um, engage in certain activities. So they were passing laws. Those were misdemeanors. The Iron Pig refused to close their restaurant. The executive branch said you're breaking the law, that we wrote and are now enforcing. So they enforced their own written laws. It's a violation of uh, the separation of powers, and, and Congress improperly delegated that law to them. The Iron Pig challenged that decision, and the uh, local judge struck down part of the health code and said that it violates the separation of powers. If we want to regulate restaurants that have to come from Congress. Now, why from Congress? Because those are the elected officials. 
Well, you, you when you say Congress, do you mean uh, state, the state house, not the Congress? And Senate. So State House and Senate. You said correct. Congress, which usually people refer to as the federal government. So you're talking about the and state. that applies same. But that's just the federal level. But it's the same rule. And I'll give you an example there too. But in any event, all the closures that they engaged in on the restaurants were improper. They were not supported by law. So the health department appealed that case recently to the Michigan Supreme Court, and the Michigan Supreme Court declined the case, and letting stand the fact that the health department violated the separation of powers. Now it's going to be heard perhaps in the Court of Appeals, but we'll see what they'll do there. Let's take the vaccine mandate. What happened there? The federal government, the executive branch, OSHA, Occupational Safety, Health um, and Welfare, passed an act or effectively issued an order saying to employees of certain size companies, you will get a vaccine mandate. The U.S. Supreme Court in January, ironically the same date as the Iron Pig decision, said no. That's a separation of powers violation. And what they said was Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives in the Senate, passed the laws. They decide if you have to get a vaccine mandate. They write the laws. Executive branch, you enforce the laws, but Congress refused to pass a vaccine mandate. We anticipate because it's not popular, and if it's not popular, you get voted out. On the executive side, those are employees. They're not elected. You have no control over them. So if OSHA or the health department passes a law, there really isn't anything you can do about it. Plus, they're enforcing the law. So what does that mean in the context of the school cases? The school is the executive branch. They are passing laws, if you will, orders or mandates. What do those mandates say? You have to wear a mask in school. You have to social distance. You have to be quarantined. Uh, you can have a, uh, some schools allow medical exemptions and some don't. So there's no consistency. So, so in the case of Kalamazoo Public Schools, they said no. They said you have to wear a mask. And there are no medical exemptions available, including my client, who is a teacher. Now, that's the same set of scenarios as the Iron Pig and the U.S. Supreme Court OSHA vaccine mandate. The executive branch is passing a rule. Their job is to enforce, not to enact laws. If Michigan would like mandatory mask wearing, either to the citizens or to students or to teachers, that must come from Congress in Lansing and the Senate. Uh, that way, you can pick up the phone anywhere in the state of Michigan and say, Senator Jones, Senator Smith, Representative Jones, Representative Smith, I do not agree with your mandates in your new law, and I'm not going to vote for you next time. That has an impact on them, and that's what the founding fathers intended was we the people – um, having uh, an active role in government. All right, I got to take a quick break, if you don't mind, here for the next commercial break. We'll come back. We're speaking to David Delaney, the attorney for, well, many cases dealing with mass mandates. That's what he's focusing on. And he has a client who is a teacher, as he told you, with the Kalamazoo Public Schools, uh, that the Kalamazoo Public Schools said we will not give any. Uh, 
doctor's waivers, which will be interesting. I don't know how the next person who comes in with a doctor's waiver or a medical exemption, how then for something else, let's say, and they're going to allow that one. I think they're going to run into uh, some problem there if that was to happen. We'll ask Dave about that. And also, I know he's not working on it because he wanted to focus on the mask mandate issues, which hopefully will get in front of the Michigan Supreme Court, but the other issues that also need to get in front of the Michigan Supreme Court so they can make a decision and we can have some consistency as he just spoke about. You listen to Live with Rank. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Live with Rank. And those of you who've been with us know who's on air with us. Attorney David Delaney, who has been the head attorney or lead attorney in a lot of cases dealing with mask mandate issues concerning public schools. Quite a few in my listening area from Kalamazoo that we're talking about now, Portage, Comstock, uh, and many others. I think Plainwell uh, as well, if I remember correctly. I think there's about 14 of them. He came on air to just update us on what's going on tonight. Kalamazoo Public School Board is having their normal meeting and on it. Apparently in the agenda is the status of the mask mandate. We'll see where that goes. He has a court hearing that's scheduled for May 2nd to address the constitutional uh, authority of that. So let's go to, let me make sure I get this right this time, uh, to, to Dave and there we go. Dave, you there? There, now you are. I had pushed that button. I don't know what's going on. Sorry about that. So, Dave, what is happening at... So, tonight, they're going to discuss where they are. Where are they right now currently? What's the current status of the mask mandate at Kalamazoo? And what are you... What is expected to come out of the May 2nd hearing that you're involved with concerning Kalamazoo? Well, first of all, the, the, the Kalamazoo Public Schools have their standard school board meeting tonight. They'll cover all their agendas and all of their issues. They have not um, identified on the agenda the lawsuit that the teacher has against the school, which indicates that she has a medical exemption from wearing a mask that they're not honoring. So at the last meeting, they didn't specifically address that, and they don't appear to address it tonight. But what is on the agenda, though, is whether or not they will continue with their general mask mandate. Now, that is not a primary issue for me in the lawsuit. I certainly think that the school doesn't have the authority for a mask mandate. But what I'm asking them to consider tonight is honoring a, um, a signed medical exemption from a physician indicating that uh, a, a tenured school teacher, she's a special education teacher, has a written medical exemption and to honor that. Essentially, if they're going to honor uh, medical protection of students by making them wear masks, they should honor medical protection of teachers who have written verification uh, that due to anxiety and other medical issues, she's not able to wear a mask. That's I think I would. I think I would also add to that if they don't agree is that what are you going to do when a medical exemption comes for something else outside of COVID? How do you honor that medical exemption and not this medical exemption when they start picking and choosing? I think I'm not a lawyer, but you're getting into uh, soft ground. Well, the other thing is. Um, at the March hearing, when we were asking the court um, 
that to indicate that the school didn't have the authority to ignore her medical exemption. The court said, and the judge has been supportive of the school's protection of students, said that uh, my client, the teacher, would have a claim for compensatory damages for the school compelling her to wear a mask in the face of a medical exemption. So that's the only time a court has said that in the 14 or so cases um, that I have had. And then the... Um, what did he base that, that on? Or she? He the, the, um, uh, on the ADA, um, so the American with Disabilities Act uh, would provide uh, for relief in that regard. There's a federal statute and a state statute in Michigan that would govern that. And that's what he cited... I had not raised those issues uh, when I was before the court. I was strictly on the interpretation of the school code at that point. But the court uh, contributed that to the record, and I intend to amend the complaint uh, to address that issue. Um, and the court indicated, you know, that she has union contracts. And so he, he distinguished between adult teachers and minors. Um, and so... Um, it, you know, I only have the record that the court presented, but we intend to pursue that. So the, the court, the school um, is on notice that we would intend to seek uh, damages in this case. All right. So you are dealing with the issues on the mask side. What are the other issues out there that needs to eventually get addressed sooner rather than later by the Michigan it, Supreme Court? It's what we addressed earlier um, and what happens and what has happened is these words are sitting in on the books in the law. Now let's go back to the emergency powers um, exercised by the governor, which the Michigan Supreme Court struck down. But the question is why? Well, because the Emergency uh, Powers Act said that the um, executive branch in times of emergencies can exercise reasonable, and necessary powers. And the court said that's not really good enough. In the Iron Pig case, um, the statute said they can exercise orders when necessary. And now to the school, they can act when it's necessary for safety and welfare. And that's a good thing. We want kids to be safe. We want to look out for their welfare. But the problem is that the terms are too broad and they're not defined. Let me give people an example. You have a 16-year-old, and you say to the 16-year-old, here's the keys to the car, and the 16-year-old says, okay, what's the rules? You can drive the car when reasonable and when necessary. Guess what? You're not going to see the car. Um, or necessary. Or I want you to take the car when it's in the interest of safety and welfare. Okay, well, I had to go pick up my buddy at 2 o'clock in the morning because, you know, he... Uh, his car broke down. Well, that may let the parents decide. So what you want is very, very clearly defined rules. So now we're back to the separation of powers. Let the exec, let the congressional branch write those laws to tell the executive branch how to enforce those. And uh, we were discussing earlier that the Michigan Supreme Court last week, uh, about 10 days ago, took the Flint water case on a separation of powers issue Supreme Court did that in January on the vaccine mandates. Um, so that issue is very, very important in this case. 
So we're going to ask the court to say that safety and welfare, while well-intentioned, and it's a good thing, we want kids to be safe. We want everyone to be safe from COVID, but there are no rules. You get a medical exemption. Some schools honor them. KPS has not. You don't get one. You have to social distance six feet. You have to be quarantined for a week. You have to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. So that kind of inconsistency illustrates the difficulty in the generality um, of the laws here. And that's what we're asking the court to look at on May 2nd. Um, We're saying this. Judge, under safety and welfare, the school has broad authority. And that may be a good thing. But, however, under the separation of powers, Congress, the legislature, and it's called non-delegation, they gave law writing to the executive branch, whether it's the health department, the CDC, OSHA, DNR, DEQ, all the executive people um, who play an important role, but they enforce, they don't write. And when one branch has both powers, James Madison called that tyranny. Okay, so we're looking at the mask mandates. We're looking at the vaccine issue. We're looking at, very important, the separation of powers uh, within the different branches. Those all need to be decided by the Michigan Supreme Court. Yes, and there's a ladder here, you know, um, and uh, the the ladder is that the, the, the circuit courts, your state courts in your county, decide these issues first. Um, and then it's appealed to the Court of Appeals, and then the um, Michigan Supreme Court can weigh in on those. They, um, they didn't weigh in on the Iron Pig. Um, in other words, they let stand the separation of powers ruling issued by the local judge uh, in Gaylord. So you do have a ladder there. I, these aren't cases that necessarily would go to the U.S. Supreme Court because you need federal law. So yeah, I'm... Yeah, I'm just looking at Michigan, and I, I think all of them need yeah. to go there because if they sit in the, in the appeals court, the next time we hit this, it's going to take too long for them to address it at, at that point. And that's why all these positions should be addressed. These very important issues, I believe, should be addressed by the Michigan Supreme Court because there will be another time that the politicians try this. And when that happens, I'm hoping that we have solid law from the Supreme Court because if it sits in the appeals court, sure. But then at that point, someone's going to come and make a beef about it. And then the Supreme Court would have to go through its process, correct? Yes, and you're making a good point, another point that we hadn't discussed, and that's mootness. Um, Now, mootness would mean this, um, that my child graduated from Kalamazoo Public Schools. Well, they don't go to school there anymore, so there's no beef. They're not wearing a mask. They're off to college or they have their first job. So that's what happened in some cases, all the cases. The health department withdrew. They rescinded their mask mandate, and so did the schools. And the court said, okay, beef's up. No one's fighting anymore. You don't have to wear a mask. We countered by saying, wait, but the health department and the school still has the power that they could spring on us at 11.59 p.m., so some courts, many courts have said, well, it's moot, um, close the case. Uh, well, they the did that because they didn't want to address it. Same thing in the voting issues with the last yeah. election. They just didn't want to address it, and they said it's mute. So. Yeah, we had the, uh, the Alpena judge indicated, though, that it was not moot, and he did rule um, on the um, safety and welfare, saying that, you know, under safety and welfare, it's broad enough to 
um, to allow mass mandates, but we had not put non-delegation uh, separation of powers before the court because the Iron Pig decision just came down in January. So I put that back on the court's docket for May. Well, you let us know, uh, Dave. I appreciate you spending all this time with us. You let us know how that your case is a. Uh, uh being addressed and progressing through the courts because it's interesting to me, especially this delegation or this uh, powers, uh, the separations of power uh, is something that's very interesting to me. Okay. I would say this to, uh, to people watch the Michigan Supreme court right now with the Flint water case. Those cases are going to be briefed and argued in April and May. Um, let's see what they do there, what they say about separation of powers, because that's an important issue. So you know that it's important to, to the courts. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave, for coming on air. Appreciate that. Thank you, Rank. Have a great day. You too. 269-441-9595. I know that was quite a lengthy and a depth, I hope, uh, for all of you, enjoyable and a depth and informative interview of the cases that not only are we facing here, and it's not just relegated to Kalamazoo. Sure, the case is at Kalamazoo, but these are statewide issues that need to be addressed as well as these other issues other than the mask mandate because that's what dave is is focusing on they have to be addressed too and as i just stated i hope there's not mute this and mute that and mute that uh, because then we'll have an issue come the next go around lines are open now finally 269-441-9595 any thoughts questions about that you listen live with rank we'll be right back you listen to Live with Rank. Appreciate that very, very much. We were just talking to the attorney, David Delaney, concerning the mask mandate issue, specifically here in Kalamazoo, public schools, but also around the state and where that's going to get solved. I want to play a an audio for you. This is, and you may or may not have heard of this person or this situation. CNN journalist, or I think they call it, a, that's cute that they call her a journalist. Uh, commentator, yes. Anna Navarro, who's been, uh, I think she claims she's a Republican. And what happens is these on the left or or left of center who were in the George W.H. Bush, I don't know if she was, I don't know where her background is, but if I remember correctly, she tries to tell people she's a Republican, but hates everything about the Republican Party, the policies and everything else. But that's what they do to get on to these programs. Hey, whatever it takes. And good for her. She made it. Uh, and the problem is, how do these people who have just embarrassed, embarrassed themselves and, and those people who run these, these broadcasting companies like CNN and MSNBC or or any of them that allow these people who have spoke, uh, have uh, not spoke, have uh, have thrown gasoline on these fires needlessly. There's times that that can happen, but needlessly. And are pushing and pushing and pushing uh, against people, throwing out a lot of hate. Now, I know some may think that what I throw out is hate when I talk uh, about some of these situations. So, so I get it. But these people, it's just hate, 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 hate. Well, this CNN co- uh, commentator, Anna Navarro, uh, said this. Now, this I, I, I found the audio of it. I just, I think it was sometime 
it, it had to be sometime when Trump was still president because they mentioned about Trump coming to Florida as president. But listen to what she said. And there's something, the reason I'm bringing it up is it's mask mandate related. And we just talked to Dave about that here in, in, about Michigan. And two is that uh, something just recently happened that is connected to this. So here's Anna Navarro on a uh, MSNBC or CNN. I'm not quite, wait, CNN, CNN program a few years ago talking about mask mandates and Trump and everybody who supports Trump. And if you listen to her, she tells a, uh, a lie. So it's Trump people that wouldn't wear the mask. It's Trump people that are getting sick. Uh, and it's Trump people who aren't getting the vaccination. Now, in this specific case, she says mask, when we know that it was the main community that you could look at that was uh, dealing with at least the vaccine issue was the black community. They didn't want to be forced to take it. So anyway, with that set up, I give you CNN commentator Anna Navarro. and talk about wearing masks. Because make no mistake, it is his supporters who are out there refusing to wear masks because they think it makes them look weak, because it's government overreach, because it's communism, because it's Big Brother telling you what to do, because it's so hard to wear a mask. I'll tell you what's hard. Wearing a nurse's uniform in an emergency room that's filled with COVID patients, that's hard. Wearing a fireman's uniform into a fire, that's hard. Wearing the nation's uniform, which President Trump refused to do and was a draft dodger for, like Tammy Duckworth did, that is hard. Wearing a mask is not hard. Breathing through a mask is not hard. Wearing Spanx is harder than wearing a damn mask. So everybody should just wear their damn mask because people are dying, people are getting sick. It's not just old people, it's not just liberals. It's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's black, it's white, it's Latino, it's rich, it's poor. COVID does not discriminate. And we are at, a, at an emergency here in Florida. People got to knock off the politics and just face the science and the facts. Well, first of all, I want to address the fact that she said COVID does not discriminate. That's just not true. That's not true. She's lying to you. Remember how it discriminated? If you were a Black Lives Matter group that was having some protests or riots out there, that was cool. They weren't going to shut them down because of COVID. But if you were anybody else out there, you would be shut down. Or they would go after you for having uh, causing a super spreader event. So she's wrong in that aspect. According to her people, it is discriminatory. It won't go after people who are uh, BLM riders or protesters or what have you and looters. And... It didn't go after people who were in restaurants or bars before 10 o'clock. So certainly that's discriminatory. It did not appreciate people who like to stay out late. So she's pretty wrong on uh, many aspects, right? Well, Miss Navarro, as you heard, she's so passionate about wearing masks, uh, was pictured just the other day on a first class airline uh, section in a seat. Not wearing a mask. Not wearing a mask. She was recklessly endangering the lives of innocent Americans. 
Photos obtained by the Washington Free Beacon show Navarro getting cozy next to his, her fellow elites in the front section of an American Airlines plane. She's wearing a lame sweatshirt with the slogan, quote, Americans need journalists, end quote. She is not wearing a mask, unlike the other first class passengers. Masks are mandated on U.S. airlines until April 18th when the policy comes up for review. Passengers may remove their mask if actively eating or drinking. But a knowledgeable flight source toward the free press, excuse me, free beacon, that Navarro was brazenly flouting the rules. Quote, she wasn't actively eating or drinking. She had a cup of ice or her on her tray table, so she probably say she was eating ice cubes, end quote. Now, not only did she say what you heard there, she also said this, quote, if you refuse to wear a mask, your A word ain't gonna fly, end quote. You can't get it more directly than that, her hypocrisy. If you refuse to wear a mask, your A word ain't going to fly. Your butt ain't gonna fly, end quote. She's a commentator on CNN and has been for use for years and uses the word ain't. I don't think ain't is in the dictionary. But let's go back to that. So will they have her still on to commentate? Commentate. To be a commentator? Of course they will. Because it has nothing to do with the hypocrisy. And how does anybody believe her anymore? How will she address it? I'm sure she'll say like that. Flight attendant said, oh, I was eating the ice cube, so I couldn't wear a mask. 269-441-9595. You listen to Live with Rank. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Live with Rank. Thank you. The Food and Drug Administration bypassed many of its own protocols to speed through the authorization of Pfizer's second booster dose of the COVID-19 vaccine last week. Now. What do you think this same group of people who are in power right now would be saying if that happened under the Trump administration? And all I ask from anybody is to treat people the same way. Multiple medical experts, including some who sit on the FDA's top vaccine advisory committee, said they had no idea why the agency skipped over its normal approval process to authorize the fourth vaccine dose for Americans aged 50 and older. And then this, and I reported on this when it occurred. The authorization was even broader than the drunk company requested, which that it, which, that it be greenlit for those aged 65 and older. Not only did the FDA not go through its normal approval process. They said 65, ah, that's not enough and reduced it to 50 and older. Now the vaccine, the FDA vaccine panel called the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee met yesterday. And part of the agenda was to discuss the fourth vaccine dose in the Israeli studies which are being used to exhibit its effectiveness. Now, 
just so you know, typically the vaccine authorization process would involve a meeting and a vote from that committee first, the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. That's first. And they would vote on whether to recommend authorization followed by the FDA heading head granting that authorization. Now, if I remember correctly, they didn't have to tell, take that recommendation, but that's how it goes. So it goes from that committee, which was skipped this time, to the FDA head granting the authorization, then the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, your CDC, vaccine committee would vote on how to recommend the vaccine, which would then be determined by the CDC director. A Dr. Paul Offit, a co-inventor of the rotavirus vaccine and member of that committee, said he couldn't explain why the FDA didn't present its data to the committee first before moving ahead with authorization. Quote, the way it's working here is what the government basically just declares that this is what they're going to do, end quote. Now, that's very interesting, is it not? We are owed at least an explanation of why they did that. Perhaps there's a good explanation, but they don't give one and haven't to date given one. In fact, this is an article from yesterday and still not there. In an interview with the Daily Call It, this Dr. Offit, the co-inventor of the rotavirus vaccine and member of that committee, expressed concern that the data used to authorize a second booster could be flawed. And perhaps that's why they didn't want it to go through that committee. The Israeli studies examined the outcomes of individuals who got a fourth shot virus. I mean, a fourth shot versus those who declined one. And the doctor explained that this is lacking compared to a randomized controlled clinical trial. Quote, that assumes that someone who chooses to get a fourth dose is just like someone who doesn't. But you could argue that someone who chooses to get another dose is more attentive to their health, more likely to exercise, less likely to smoke, end quote. Meaning those who choose could be more into their health and will do anything they can to improve it, so they'll do this, this foreshot, or they would say they would, compared to someone who maybe doesn't believe in this stuff or doesn't think much about their health. So they say due to that, there's a big flaw, and this is in Israeli study. Another doctor, Dr. Cody Messiner, who's a childhood vaccination expert at Tufts University, in Boston, also sits on that committee. He couldn't explain why his insight, along with the other committee members, wasn't sought out before authorizing Pfizer's fourth dose. Quote, I haven't seen that data. They haven't brought it to the committee. But this decision has been made and certainly will not be reversed. You'd have to ask the FDA FDA, why they decided to go ahead and make this particular decision. Because again... I have not seen the data, end quote. Why? 
has he not seen it? Why didn't they allow it to go through that route? That is nervousness. And I would have the same question if it was Trump. There needs to be an answer. You listen to Live with Rank. Lines are open, 269 